Well, this is a, a wonderful story. Most of us have heard this story since the time we were children. The story of Jesus walking on water. Now, I think probably all of you know that I love the ocean. I grew up in San Diego. I love fishing. I love water skiing. When I was a teenager, I loved surfing. I love everything about the ocean. Uh, my dad used to have a small water ski boat, a 14-foot glass boat, with a 50-horsepower mercury outboard motor. So it wasn't a big boat at all, but my father was fearless with that boat in that we not only went skiing during the summer, during the winter, the fall and the winter and the spring, we'd go fishing. And we would take that little boat 20 miles off of the coast of San Diego towards uh, the uh, Mexican waters. And uh, that's where we found the best fishing. And I mean, to go in that small of a boat 20 miles out into the ocean was pretty significant. Well, on this particular uh, fishing day, I was in, in high school and it was my father and our pastor, Pastor Woodhouse. And... Hello, that happened last week, too. So uh, Pastor Woodhouse, myself and then my brother-in-law, my older sister's husband, Alan. And the four of us went out on this little boat and we went uh, to the Coronado Islands, which is Mexican waters. And uh, we were having a great day fishing, an awesome day fishing. Well, Pastor Woodhouse was a, a small, stout man, maybe five foot seven, 200 plus pounds. And he was not much of an outdoorsman, but we loved him. He was our pastor. And uh, my dad invited him to come along on this fishing trip. Uh, it's one of, he's one of those guys, if you remember back in the 60s, one of those pastors that if you go to a picnic, uh, he'd wear a black suit. You know, he's one of those guys. And he wore a tie. He didn't wear a jacket, but he wore a tie to our fishing trip. My dad said, you're not getting on the boat until you take that tie off. So he got, took the tie off and got in the boat in his wingtips, and, uh, and we went out fishing. Uh, so Pastor Woodhouse wasn't much of an outdoorsman. Um, well, we get out there. Now, we, as far as you can see, you can see Mexico, the Coronado Islands. But as far as you can see, all around us, nothing but the wide open space, spaces, the, the, the briny sea. That's all you could see. And uh, Pastor Woodhouse, this is maybe a couple hours into our fishing trip. Pastor Woodhouse said, uh, Tommy, that was my dad's name. Tommy, what happens if you have to go to the bathroom? And my dad said, you know, it's easy. You know, nobody around. We're all guys here, you know, side of the boat. Uh, he said, no, Tommy, you don't understand. What happens if you have to go to the bathroom? Now, we're all adults here, right? We all know this is part of a normal bodily function, so we're not going to be weird about it. But uh, uh, my dad said, well, there's really only two options. One is to jump out into the water, kind of float away, drift away from the boat, and we'll come pick you up. Or you can just simply hold on to the windshield of the boat and kind of help yourself over the side of the boat, and we'll turn our heads and... You know, all that. So Pastor Woodhouse opted for the latter. As he was getting situated, pulled his pants down, grabbed the thing, scooted over the side of the boat. My dad looked over and winked at me and he said, shark, just like that. Well, Pastor Woodhouse's little feet were kind of flopping around. He falls backwards into the water, holding on to the windshield. In those days, windshields were made of glass, not plastic. That thing weighed about 80 pounds. And he's holding on for dear life. And he disappears like a rock. 
And he's holding on to this one. Now, thankfully, after about 10 feet, he let go of it and bubbled back up to the top of the water. But the problem was, he, we were laughing so hard in the boat, we couldn't even help him get back in the boat for about 10 minutes. He was sputtering and spewing, and we were just howling. And, and so that day, I learned a tremendous lesson about nautical engineering, and it's this. There's a time to get out of the boat, and there's a time to stay in the boat. Which brings us to our story today. There's a time to get out of the boat, and there's a time to stay in the boat. Let's listen to this amazing story that happened uh, in, uh, to Jesus. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said and cried in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. There is a time to stay in the boat, and there is a time to get out of the boat. So Peter and his friends, the disciples, were in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you look at a map of the Sea of Galilee, there's two kind of mountain ranges that kind of are on either side of this body of water. And sometimes when those storms blow from the north, they literally come through that mountain, those two mountain ranges, and it comes out like a funnel. And the, the, the wind is just howling and it's coming out and it just causes this tremendous uh, squall on the Sea of Galilee. This was not a minor squall or a minor storm. In fact, Matthew says the boat was tormented by the waves. It was a very, very violent storm. The disciples, as you would expect, were afraid. Now, these were... Nautical people. These were seamen. These were people who knew to be what it meant to be on the water, how to save themselves. But by 3 a.m., they were fearing for their lives. Then one of the disciples uh, noticed a shadow moving toward them on the water. Fear. I mean, just imagine, very eerie, uh, this the shadow moving toward them, thinking, "What is this?" And as it got closer, it was apparently the figure of a human being literally walking on water. Take a moment to let that image sink into your soul. These disciples were in distress. Are they seeing things? Is it a ghost? Is it some kind of an oasis? I mean, the Bible says that they literally cried out in terror. What do we do? First of all, the storm's bad enough, but, but this image, this specter, this ghost... What do we do now? In hindsight, I mean, who else could it have been? 
I mean, the disciples had been with Jesus now for over two years. They had seen him make water into wine. They had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. They had seen him uh, take paralytics and, and blind men and heal them completely from their diseases. They had seen all of this, but in spite of all of that, they were still fearful because they believed they were going to die. Now, when you look at this text deeper, you have to ask the question, what is Jesus doing walking on water? Walking on this tempestuous lake at three o'clock in the morning. Author David Garland finds a clue in Mark's version of the story. In Mark's version, he says that Jesus, quote, intended to pass them by. Now, that's kind of a, a weird thought. Jesus, because you, you, you always have this picture, like it was in the little, uh, the little video, you have the picture of Jesus walking toward the boat, right? He's going to go there and he's going to have a conversation with them. But in, in Mark's uh, gospel, uh, he uses the phrase that Jesus intended to pass them by. Well, when you look at that in the nuance of not only the context, but what the word means, the word is parakomai, to pass by, the translation seems to indicate that Jesus was basically he was going to walk by the boat, and as he was walking by the boat, he was going to say, come and follow me. Say that to the boat, to the people in the boat. Come and follow. In other words, he wasn't going to the boat. He was walking by the boat, and he was going to invite them, you come with me. Now, this same word, at least transliterated from the Hebrew, is used at Moses in the burning bush, and Elijah, and Elijah when it said that the Lord passed by. In all of the context where this phrase, parakomai, is used, it's used to indicate that God is saying something to someone that says, I want you to follow me. And if you follow me, I promise I will give you the power to do something extraordinary. Now that's a beautiful phrase. So here Jesus is, is, is not really coming to the boat, but maybe he's trying to race the boat. But he's coming up alongside the boat and he's saying, come and follow me. And if you follow me, I will do something extraordinary in your life. There's a book, a very, in fact, it's on the New York Times bestseller list. How many of you have read um, uh, Heaven is Real? Okay. Uh, if you haven't read it, it's really good. You can find it anywhere. In fact, um, uh, it's it's uh, number one seller at Sam's Club. So uh, you can find Heaven is Real. And it's about the story of a little boy, uh, Coulter, uh, Colton Burpo. His father wrote it. And this little five-year-old boy, uh, when he was, he, he died on the uh, table and saw himself for a while and then came back to life a few minutes later. And the parents just thought it was wonderful that he was alive and all of that. But as the years unfolded, a few years after that, he kept telling them visions of what he saw. And things that a five-year-old boy would never know. And, and, and one of those things that he saw, he saw when his dad was a preacher. And his dad, he said, Dad, Daddy, when you preach, I see power shoots. He said, well, what, what is that? And what he was trying to describe was that there was this energy or this power, or this like a, a lightning bolt that was coming down to his father when he was preaching. Isn't that awesome? The power of the Holy Spirit. Every morning since we read that book, Sherry prays over me in the morning that, 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 that there would be power shoots. And the power shoots would, would fill me with the Holy Spirit in order to teach the Word of God to our people. That's the kind of thing that God does. 
He comes alongside and said, I want, so, I want you to do something extraordinary. I want you to do something that, that you've never done before. I want you to get out of the boat. That's a, a, a phrase coined from John Ortberg in his book by the same name. I want you to get out of the boat because you can't do what I want you to do if you stay in the boat. The Lord is passing by in the burning bush with Elijah. The Lord is passing by, revealing His divine presence, His divine power, and calling them, Peter and the other disciples, I want you to come and do something extraordinary. It's sad that only one of them chose to do it. The disciples, we understand this part. They were confused and filled with wonder and disbelief. And eleven of them said, no, I'm going to stay here in the boat. But Peter, Peter alone, took up the mantle. And said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. He said, I will come along on this adventure. At those moments in our lives, when we believe that God is calling us, God is calling us to do something extraordinary. <laughs> hey, folks, power shoots. Power shoots. When God is calling us to do something extraordinary, Whoever's phone that is, you better listen to the Lord. You better listen to this message. When God says, there's something I want you to do, right? There's something I want you to do. Now, my good friend, Steve Reed, uh, he's hiding in the back of the church. And um, so in 2006, when I did my sabbatical, uh, Steve and Vicki met us for a few days in Lincoln City, uh, Oregon, and uh, the plan was that uh, Steve and I were going to go fishing. And, um, and this happened over Father's Day in 2006. So it was cool. And uh, Vicki and Sherry arranged for us to go fishing. So we went fishing on Father's Day. The only problem is Steve gets sick on boats. Okay. So I mean, we're, we're hardly out of, the, out of the bay, heading out into the ocean when Steve gets sick. And and in a few minutes, the poor guy is laying on... Uh, there's outside the cabin of the boat, there's these chrome railings that you can hold on to to give your balance as you're walking around the boat to fish. And uh, Steve got very sick over the side of the boat, chumming, 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 chumming. And, uh, and, and he had no, nothing left in him. He just laid there on the outside of the boat and he held on to this chrome post. And it just held on for dear life. And I kept you know, with great compassion and love. I kept stepping over him to find a good fishing position. And um, finally, I thought, well, I better see how he's doing. So I kind of bent over real close to him and asked him, I said, said Steve, how you doing? Can I get you anything? He, he said, I, how about if I help you away from this, this chrome post and down into the cabin? And, and, he, and I think he said, I wasn't sure exactly what he said, but I think this is what he said to me. He said, Dwayne, I love you, but if you try to remove me from my post... You will see Jesus today. Now, it was something, Steve, I don't remember exactly, but it was something to that effect. That, and I said, okay, okay, Steve is committed to his post. <laughs> He's not going anywhere. And uh, I, I even, I, in a tender, loving way, I called him a boat hugger. You know, because he was holding on to that, that post like this. And, and that's what the 11 disciples did. They were boat huggers. Now, the question for you today, and I want you to, throughout this message, to interject yourself into the story. Are you a boat hugger or a water walker? Now, don't be too hard on Steve. I mean, um, the guy, he didn't have a, it wasn't his choice to, every time he gets on a boat, to turn as green as Kermit the Frog. But, 
But for others of us, we have a choice whether to be a boat hugger or a water walker. So let, let's talk about that today from this story. How does one become a water walker? Because I think if you think about the story, you, you would want to be Peter. You would not want to be one of the other 11 disciples who were hanging on to the mast and hanging on to the railing and I'm not going anywhere and I'm terrified. How to be a water walker? Here's the first thing. If you want to be a water walker, you have to get out of the boat. Again, that's John Ortberg's phrase. Now, once again, as you put yourself in the storm, it's the middle of the night. These fishermen, these disciples, were fearing for their life. There was, there was no sense that we're going to get out of this storm. Uh, the boat that you saw in the picture, it looked too small for the disciples, but that was a pretty accurate depiction of what a boat would look like that was carrying 12 fishermen. Very small, comparatively. So as you're in the story, you're in the middle of the night, you're fearing for your life, there's no Dramamine, and you're hanging on to that chrome post with all of your might, and then you see a specter passing by. And here's something significant. Peter recognized him. Now, we don't have any record, in Mark's Gospel, the same thing. We don't know that, that the other disciples immediately recognized him. In fact, they probably didn't by their behavior. But Peter initially recognized him. Jesus said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. And Jesus said, come. And he did. In maybe the greatest distress of Peter's life, in maybe the most horrendous circumstances he had ever faced, this near-death experience of being in this boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee with a storm that was not letting up, in that, somehow, Peter recognized Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. How do you recognize Jesus? Do you recognize Jesus? And do you see Jesus in your life in the most extraordinary and difficult and horrendous circumstances? That's a question we need to ponder. How do we recognize Jesus in our lives? Now with Peter, we know that he lived with Jesus for about two years. We know that Jesus washed his feet. You get to know a guy when he washes your feet. Jesus called Peter to follow him. Peter left his business, his family business of fishing, and went and followed Jesus. Peter saw the miracles that he performed, including uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. He spent time with him for two years. He lived with him. He ate with him. He slept near him. All of these things. He knew the Savior. He knew Jesus. How about you? How well do you know Jesus? How long have you been living with the Savior? How do we get to know Jesus? I mean, we were talking about this in our study on Thursday night about how we can recognize the voice of the shepherd. Same question. How do we recognize Jesus in our lives? The best and most effective way I know to tell you that you can recognize Jesus is by allowing the Word of God to be part of you. Because when you allow the Word of God to be part of you, the character of Jesus, when you invite Jesus into your life, the character of Jesus becomes your character. 
The mind of Jesus becomes your mind. You become Jesus' thoughts and His ideas and His heart and His plan. That's how you recognize Jesus, by getting to know Him through His Word, by praying with Him, by spending time with Him, by turning off all of the noise in your life and simply being still before God. That's how you get to where you can recognize Jesus. Too many people, when things go bad, when things go rough, what do they do? Instead of trying to find Jesus, they say, well, Jesus, you've left me. You're gone. You've disappeared. Where are you? When we have to realize that whether it's 911 or you losing your job or some other circumstances, God has always promised, I'll be with you in the midst of that. He never promised to keep you away from tribulations. He never promised to keep you away from trouble and danger and all of that. He promised to be with you in the midst of those tribulations. Do you recognize Jesus? In spite of the fear that you might feel? In spite of uh, a lack of common sense, men don't walk on water? In spite of the possibility of being ridiculed? I mean, Peter was no stranger to ridicule. And we know that later when, you know, when he pulled the, the sword on Malchus, Malchus' high priest. But Peter was the only one he got out of the boat. I'm sure in his heart he would say, Yes, I'm terrified. But that's Jesus over there. Yes, it seems like a foolish thing to do, but that's Jesus over there. I recognize Him. Yes, I'll be seen as, as an idiot, you know, when I, I drop into the water, like Pastor Woodhouse holding on to the, the windshield. But that's Jesus. I know that's Jesus. And so He gets out of the boat. Do you know Jesus well enough to get out of the boat? Do you recognize His character, His heart? Uh, we had, uh, I think, 15 people a couple weeks ago that went to the Navajo Nation. Now, some of you have never been to the Navajo Nation, but uh, there is no uh, electricity. There are no, there's no plumbing. There's only these smelly outhouses. There is this dust everywhere that fills your hair and your nose and your mouth and, and all of that. And when the people came back from there, uh, they said, well, how was it? Well, it was pretty basic, pretty rudimentary, but... But you should have seen the faces of those little children that gave their hearts to Jesus. That's getting out of the boat. That's saying, you know, I don't, I don't want to leave my comfortable home where I have my flush toilet and I have air conditioning and all that. No, that's getting out of the boat. That's, that's doing something. That's recognizing that Jesus is at work there and saying, I'm going to do it. It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be hard. I'm going to be filled with dust and dirt. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to get out of the boat. I remember when I was um, I just graduated from college, I was working at an engineering firm. I had a really good job, and, um, but, I, but God was stirring in my life that I should be in the ministry. And so I, 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 I turned in my resignation, a temporary resignation. I asked my boss, can I take a year leave of absence? No pay, of course. And he said, okay. And, and I said, I'm going to be a youth pastor. And so I went from making a really good salary to making $150 a month as a part-time youth pastor. And you should have heard the criticism I received from almost everybody I knew. Not Sherry. We weren't married yet, but she understood what was going on with me. But even Sherry's mom and dad, and you love them. I love them. Art and Joanne Wilson, they're awesome. But in that time, Sherry's dad was more concerned about her daughter who was going to be married having a stable husband, not some idiot that would quit a, bad, a good job and become a youth pastor for $150 a month. I had to step out of the boat. I didn't know what else to do. 
I recognized Jesus stirring in my life, doing something that said, I want you to do something more. Nothing wrong with being a great Christian engineer. That's a great profession. But there's something more. Do you recognize Jesus in your life? And do you especially recognize Him when, when He says, get out of the boat? I know this is uncomfortable. I know it's going to be hard. But get out of the boat? If you want to be a water walker, you have to get out of the boat. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there was one time, I forget who asked Lucy the question, but they asked something about Aslan, who was a Christ figure, this big ferocious lion. And the person who was talking to Lucy said, well, he, he, he's, he, he's not safe, but he's good. See, that's the Jesus we serve. He's not sa- if you want safety, you don't want to be a Christian. He's not safe, but he's good. If you want to be a water walker, you have to get out of the boat. Here's the second thing from the text. If you want to be a water walker, you have to take a risk. Now, it's one thing to say, I'm going to get out of the boat. It's another thing to step out of the boat and place your foot on water. <laughs> you don't know where the rocks are. It's not a Minnesota lake in February where you can get out and walk on the water. It's water, and it's a storm, and it's awful, awful. The high point of Peter's story is in the middle of the passage where it says, Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. Matthew 14, 29. What exhilaration. I mean, it's, it's almost like we've been talking last two weeks about Moses and the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. It's like Moses when their, their feet, their toes are touching the Red Sea. The dust of the Egyptians and 10,000 chariots is chasing them down from behind. And Moses lifts his staff and, and, and then he takes one step into the water. And I'm sure Moses is going, God, you better be right on this one. Or on toast. <laughs> you better be right. And he lifts his staff and he puts his, step, his, his foot on that water and the Red Sea parts. That was Peter. I mean, he took a risk. I mean, have you ever gotten out of a boat and you thought it was just like a foot deep, but it was like four foot deep? And you get out of the boat and you, you're, you're thinking you're going to step down on, on sand, but you just kind of plop over into the water? That's what Peter could have done. Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water to Jesus. What an exhilaration to actually stand firm on that water. I mean, what? Uh, and Peter's to say, are you kidding me? This is awesome. It's like the little six-year-old boy. You know, this is the greatest day of my life. I'll never ask for anything again. It's, it's Peter saying, this is, this is it. I'll follow you anywhere, Lord Jesus. I mean, Peter started to get it. I'm walking like Jesus walks. I don't understand it, but I recognize him and I'm doing it. I'm not walking on rocks or ice. I'm walking on water. He really is the one. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is the Deliverer. He is the one I choose to follow. And then, as Peter's walking, what do you think he's looking at? He's looking directly in the face of the Messiah. He's looking at Jesus, and Jesus is looking at him, and I can almost imagine the way that he looks at Jesus with these eyes of joy and hope and love. And, and, and this, 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 every time, when you, when you see your child as a, as a, 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 a 12 month or 18 month old take their first step, the joy you feel as a parent, why do you think Jesus felt on his child taking a step on water? 
getting out of the boat was Peter's great gift to Jesus. Walking on water was Jesus' great gift to Peter. Question. Is there a challenge or a pain in your life that is so great that you know you can't do it alone? I know that's true of you. It's true of me. Sometimes almost every day. A challenge or a pain so great that I know I can't do it on my own. How about risking... uh, Brad talked about this just briefly this morning. How about risking giving generously? That's a risk. I can't tell you the number of people in our church who have told me, you know, after I preached a sermon on tithing or something, say, you know, I'm going to try it. I'm going to test God because it's the only time in the Bible that says we can test God with our giving. If we test God, is he going to bless us in return? You can do that. And I can't tell the number of people in our church who have tested God, who have risked. Okay, I don't know where this money's coming from, but I'm going to pay my tithe first and see what God does. And God never fails. If you're having trouble financially, my guess is you're probably not giving to God's work. Those things usually go hand in hand. Risk giving generously. How about risk confessing a sin, a secret or a hidden sin that you've kept, you haven't told anybody. But when you take that risk, when you literally step out of the boat, you find the comfort of God underneath your foot, saying, you did the right thing. We're going to get through this together. We can do this. The risk of sharing your faith, the risk of serving in the church, all of these things are risks, especially for new people in Christ. But every time God says, when you risk, when you step out on faith, I promise I will sustain you. I promise I will buoy you. I promise I will hold you up. First step is ours. God never pushes us to the first step. He wants us to take the first step. Now, all the other disciples did not take that step of faith. Because if you want to be a water walker, you have to take a risk. But if you want to be a water walker, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, you know this part of the story. So Peter's walking on water. Uh, his eyes are fixed on the Savior. There's love and joy and relationship there that's so amazing. But then the Bible says when he saw the wind, that's kind of an odd statement, uh, he started to sink into the water. So what does it mean when he saw the wind? There's a couple of possible explanations. Uh, first of all, you don't see wind you see the effects of the wind. So it could be that Peter uh, had his eyes focused on Jesus, but you could see that out of the peripheral, maybe, a vision, he saw these uh, rolling waves and these sheets of rain and the clouds that are moving. So he maybe saw the effects of the wind. So maybe it was circumstances that caused him to take his eyes off of Jesus. Does that ring a bell with anybody <laughs> Circumstances of life, difficulties, storms, problems, uh, sicknesses, losing job, bad marriage. Circumstances that the very time when we need to focus on Jesus more than ever, as the time that we take our eyes off of him and we start looking, oh no, oh no, my marriage, oh no, my kids, oh no, my job. And, And we start focusing on circumstances and guess what? You're no different than Peter. I'm no different than Peter. We begin to sink. That's That's one possibility, seeing the roiling waters and turning his eyes upon circumstances. But there's another possibility. And it's this, that uh, maybe uh, Peter, as he's walking on water and he's filled with joy, but he's also filled with a little bit of maybe pride. Maybe. He's the only one that stepped out on the water. It's working. (laughs) 
It's awesome. And maybe, just maybe, he, he turned around to see if the other guys were watching him. You know, just maybe, just for a minute. Just, guys, are you, are you checking this out? Do you, do you see me? You know, and, and maybe as he looked back then, he saw the terror in the eyes of the disciples and he saw the boat, you know, and maybe it was uh, taking his eyes off of Jesus and putting them on pride or self-sufficiency or look at me. In either circumstance, in either case, he fell into the water. The pastor, you don't understand uh, about my marriage, my job or my finances, my, my fears, my fears. Yeah, I, I do understand. If we keep our eyes focused on our circumstances and not on the Savior, I guarantee you we'll fall every time. Greg Lavoie, uh, a commentator, said this. Jesus promised those who would follow him only three things. That they would be absurdly happy, entirely fearless, and always in trouble. I love that. Because that's my life. I really am. Ask Sherry. I'm way too enthusiastic and optimistic, especially early in the morning. She doesn't like that at all. Entirely fearless and always in trouble. I don't know if you feel like that. I know I do. Because we're... As Christians, we're swimming upstream, and the only way we can make it is to keep our eye on the prize, and that prize is Jesus. If you want to be a water walker, you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. And the last thing is this. If you want to be a water walker, when you fall, and good chance you will, you must reach out for Jesus. Matthew fourteen thirty. but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. How many times have you failed? How many times have you focused on your circumstances or what other people think about you? The disciples checking out Peter. How often, how often have you taken your eyes off of Jesus? The greatest, most profound prayer in the Bible is found right here in the 14th chapter of Matthew. The prayer that's probably uttered more than any other prayer in the history of mankind. Those three simple words. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, my only hope is you. Lord, save me. In your storms and trials, in your heartaches and difficulties, in your brokenness and pain, when you take your eyes off of Jesus and then when you recognize in the midst of sinking deeply into the ocean, you simply say, Lord, save me. Guess what? You see this, this arm come down and reach down and grab your arm and pick you up. James 4.10, we studied this a few weeks ago. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's not hard being humble when you're deep in the ocean. <laughs> We're going to, when I come back, I just, last week I wrote the sermon for when I come back from vacation about Jonah. And it's not hard to be humble when you're sitting in gastric juice and have seaweed wrapped around your forehead. You know, it's not hard to say, God, I need you. It's not hard when you're sinking into the ocean and there's no way to save you. Lord, save me. And Jesus always reaches his arm down to lift you up. 
I can't tell you how often after my failure back in 1997, the years before that, I can't tell you how often I wanted God to save me. But I never did the work of getting out of the boat. I never did the work of confessing my sin and going through the process of healing and doing the hard work of getting out of the boat. We all want to just be saved and rescued and be free from all the difficulties of life. Well, that's just not how this world works because this world is broken and sinful. We must get out of the boat. We must take a risk. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must humble ourselves and say, Lord Jesus, you're my only hope. I can't do this. And we reach up to him and he reaches down to us. And he saves us. He redeems us. He delivers us from our sinfulness. Well, how many times will God do that? Three? I need that. The Bible says, how many times does God forgive us? Two times? Three times? Seven times? Jesus said, how about 70 times seven? God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I know you're weak, but I'm going to always be there to pick you up. We've got to get out of the boat. We've got to stop being comfortable in our lives. We've got to start recognizing Jesus for who he is and what he's calling us as he passes by, what he's calling us to do and be extraordinary things he wants you to do. He doesn't want you to be ordinary. He doesn't want you to go through your nice little suburban life. He wants you to be extraordinary. The only way you can do that is to recognize him, to get out of the boat and take a risk. Let's, let's bow our heads, please.